My name is Eric Hilton, and um, you may have seen me around, and, uh, but a lot of times I'm not here too. So sometimes you may wonder if Eric's backslidden or not. Um, typically speaking, we're out somewhere preaching. So next year, 2024, we will be celebrating 30 years of gospel ministry, both in evangelism and revival meetings. Um, we are so glad to be in the service of the Lord. Uh, of course, the last couple of years have made things different for us, um, but things have changed in the next few months. You will not likely see us until maybe sporadically here and there, but we will be gone probably till the middle of July. And uh, the Lord has opened up doors for us to be about ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we've got some meetings. I, I expect that the border will be open for us after May 11th. And we have meetings down south. We have meetings also in uh, Newfoundland. And um, we're very thankful for that. See, friends, I believe with all my heart that what the church needs today is revival. And I know we've had some terrific times in the church, and to see people one to Jesus Christ, it can't get any better than that. And I, I think that we have tasted just a little bit of what revival is in the last little while. I mean, uh, in most churches, you're not seeing as many people baptized as we are seeing in this day and age, and we're certainly not seeing as many souls saved and many churches. But dear friends, it's just this, this the very tip of the iceberg of what God, I believe, wants to do, wants to pour out. I don't think we can rest contented in what we have seen this week. And even if we did see a full-blown, full-out, bona fide, Holy Ghost revival, I believe our prayer should be, revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee. Um, it used to be thought by the church of old that a revival was only expected about once every five years or something like that, but that's not true. Let's go from one revival to the next. Now, it's been my pleasure to have been a uh, participant in many, many, many revival meetings. I have seen revival corporately, and I have seen it individually. And uh, a few years ago, I, I wrote a book on the subject. It's called If My People, If My People. It's a book that uh, describes what revival is and what revival is not. There's a lot of stuff out there that is called revival, but it is not revival. It answers the question, is revival for today? The answer is yes. And it also answers the question, what part do we play in procuring revival? In my book, I uh, quote a lot of the great revivalists of the past, George Whitfield, John Wesley, Charles Finney, D.L. Moody, um, Robert Murray McShane, various men who were right in the thick of revival in their days. And 
I explain through some of their insights and their experiences and also some of my own. I have some copies available in the foyer, and if you would like to get a copy of that, you can see us after the service, and somebody says, well, that's got to be an expensive book. Like, I mean, just think of how rich a book like that is. But here's the good news. You can have that book for a donation to our ministry in any amount. And uh, I would pray that God would bless as you read that book. But this evening, I am not here to speak specifically on the subject of revival. That was just an advertisement for this evening. If you have your Bibles, I would like for you to turn with me to the book of Psalms and chapter 142. This morning, Brother Jeff preached a Psalm of David from Psalm 27. And I thought, oh boy, he's, he's saying a lot of the same things that I had planned on saying this evening. And sometimes the Holy Spirit works that way. I thought to myself, I need to change some of the things. But no, you might hear some of the same things, and that's okay. It re-emphasizes some of those thoughts. Uh, the Bible says in Psalm 142, I'm going to read the entire psalm. The Bible says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. And the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand, and behold, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. Thy righteousness shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thankful tonight to be in this place of worship. Lord, thank you for the attentiveness already of the people that will hear, Lord, what I believe that you have put on my heart. And Lord, I may not deliver it well, but who cares what Eric has to say? Lord, may we hear what the Spirit of God has to say. We ask, O oh God, that you would be pleased to visit us in this time, for we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Now, you will notice at the very top of your psalm, it says, A Maskeel of David. A Maskeel is a poem of contemplation. And then it says, A prayer when David was in the cave. Now, we don't know which cave that was. David was in a lot of caves. But David was in a place of isolation and a place of loneliness. And it's a time when David was in trouble, just as we heard this morning in Psalm 25. Now, we need to understand that, and I know you do, but it needs to be reemphasized anyways, that every piece of Scripture is written of God. The Bible says that the, all of Scripture is the inspiration of God, all Scripture. 
So in other words, God was in Moses when he penned the Pentateuch. God was in the prophets when the prophets wrote their portion in Holy Scripture. Uh, The Holy Spirit was in King David when he penned the Psalms. The Holy Spirit was in the gospel writers. The Holy Spirit was in the apostles as they wrote the New Testament. It's not just man's thoughts or man's idea. Do you know that today there is a horrible attack on the veracity of Scripture? There are preachers who say, these are just stories. We need to concentrate on other things other than the very Word of God. That's a very slippery slope. So I don't see this psalm as just thoughts of David. I believe that there is a parallel thought. I believe that it speaks to us. But there's another parallel thought. Oftentimes in Scripture, when there is a a thought, we need to look at it in terms of, does this apply to the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? And I see a parallel in here that is literally speaking of what the Savior spoke in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's actually uncanny. Somebody would say, it is almost as though Jesus wrote this very psalm. You could actually say that. The Bible says that Jesus is the Word of God. Now, the Bible tells us that David prayed with his emotion. Look what it says. He said, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. He says, I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. He prayed, prayed with his emotion. Friends, I believe that we ought to pray with our emotion too. But think of the Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Bible says, Matthew chapter 26 In verse 38, Jesus said these words, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. The Bible says in Luke chapter 22 and verse 44, And having been in agony, he prayed more earnestly. He sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. That was our Savior in the Garden of Gethsemane. But notice also, there was almost a sense of depression in David when he penned these words. The Bible says in verse 3, When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path, and the way wherein I walked have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand, and behold, but there was no man that would know me, refuge fail me, no man cared for my soul. You can see the the depths that King David was in when he penned this psalm. Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus was in the very same spirit. The Bible says that uh, he began to be sorrowful and very heavy, very heavy. Do you know this this morning, that there are some maybe here this evening, who understand full well what it is like to be very, very low. 
Jesus knows what that's all about. He was a, a high priest who, who, who could be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He knows each and every one of the struggles that you are going with, going, that you're having. And the Bible says, yet he was without sin. But the next thing, he also cried out for emancipation. Notice what the Bible says in verse 6. Attend unto my cry, for I'm brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Then he says, bring my soul out of prison. I love that. Uh, He was in a, a state where he was crying out to God to set him free. You say, wonder why David would cry for that. But look what the Bible says. He says, he said he cried, uh, bring my soul out of prison. Why? That I might praise thee. That I might praise thy name. Oh, friends, David was just looking for another excuse to praise his God. The Bible says in Psalm 51, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall sing forth thy praises. Somebody says, Eric, why do you sing so loud? I wish you would just tone it down just a little bit so that other people could be heard in the congregation. But I'll tell you why, dear friends. God has set me free, and my tongue will sing aloud of his righteousness. But notice our Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Bible says, Luke chapter 22 and verse 42, saying, Father, if it be thy will to remove this cup from me, He cried out, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. But there is another sense, which I believe was one of the deepest and the sorrowest sense of the suffering of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane that day. And it is found in... uh, The fourth verse, the Bible says, no man cared for my soul. That is how David felt. And if you look at that picture of Jesus in Gethsemane, he went into that garden with 11 of his disciples. Nine of them got so far Two of them got a little bit further, but every one of them fell asleep. And the Bible actually says when Jesus was arrested that all men forsook him. Jesus could have said, no man cared for my soul. I want to park on that verse this evening. I want to ask that question three ways. First of all, I want to say say it to myself. I want to ask myself, Eric, can you say no man cared for your soul? Now, there may be some here that could say that, but this, this sinner right here, he can't say that. I'll tell you what, I remember some of my earliest recollections. 
I was just a little boy. My dad was an alcoholic, and my dad had been on a three-day bender. He had drank himself stupid and consumed an awful lot of alcohol. And I remember that my sister and I were driving with my dad. And my dad had enough sense to pull over to the side of the road, and he began to tremble like this, just shake. And he was a, a couple of seconds away from blacking out. I remember that. I didn't know what was going on. He was having what is called the DTs. It scared my dad to death. And my dad said after that, he collected himself. We got home and he says, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go to church. The whole family is going to go to church. Okay, dad. Okay, we're going to go to church. See, my dad thought what he needed was some help, and he thought that maybe if he went to church, maybe if he got a little bit of religion, he would be just fine. And do you know that my dad and his whole family, my brothers, my sisters, and my mother, my dad was 100% faithful for about one month. How many know this evening that religion alone will never set you free. I remember I grew up, became a teenager. I had a friend of mine whose mother was one of these born-again people. And uh, I was visiting my friend, his name was Ken, and she said, Erica, would you like to come and, and help? We're, 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 we're redesigning a restaurant and we need some help. Would you like to come and help? I said, I would love to come and help. So we went there. We set up tables. We, we set up chairs. We had a little bit of a snack. And there were some people there. And we got, I got talking to them. And one of the ladies said to me, hey, we're having special meetings tonight. Would, would you like to come to the meeting? I said, who, me? She said, yeah, why don't you come? I said, Okay. Sounds like a good idea. I said, can I bring my girlfriend? That's her right there. And, and they said, oh, sure, sure, bring the girlfriend with you. I said, okay. I went home. I called up my girlfriend on the phone. And I said, hey, sweetheart, you want to go on a little date tonight? She said, sure, I'd love to go on a date. We're going to go to the Pentecostal church. Okay. I'd never been to a church like that at all. I'd never been really to any church. Except for the time when I went with my dad. And we went there, and that evangelist, he was preaching it up pretty good. And uh, he came to the very end of that message. I was literally riveted to that message. And then the preacher said, who here wants to trust Jesus Christ for the salvation? I threw up my hand as fast as I could. And then I looked over and looked at my girlfriend, and she was not happy. No, she was not happy at all. And I pulled my hand down as fast as I could, looked around and made sure nobody saw that. And I said to her, I said, Kathy, uh, do you want to go? She said, oh, yeah. So we grabbed each other's hands and we, we walked out of that church house. Do you know something, dear friend? If I had died as I left that church house, if I had died that night, I would have gone straight 
to an eternal hell. But I'll tell you one thing. I could not say no man cared for my soul. That preacher, he cared for my soul. That woman who invited me to the meetings, she cared for my soul. My friend's mother who invited me to come, she cared for my soul. A few years later, I got married to this woman here. And uh, we moved to Beansville. And then we moved from Beansville to Smithville. And then we moved from Smithville to Jarvis. Well, before I got to Jarvis, I, I had this old car. It was a piece of junk. And I needed to get the car fixed, and there was a man who, who had uh, uh, glasses. They were, looked like the bottoms of a Coke bottle. I mean, they were thick. And I heard that he was cheap. He would look at my vehicle, he would fix it, and it wouldn't cost me a lot of money. I thought to myself, I need to get this car fixed, and I don't have a lot of money. So I took it into him. I parked my car inside the garage, and you know who he was? He was a born-againer! I pulled the car in, said, pop the hood, I popped the hood. He didn't even take five seconds to look at that engine. He just started talking to me about Jesus. I had uh, heard about the gospel a little bit. I was working in a wood shop, and there was a couple of those born-again people there, and they were talking to me about Jesus, and I, I learned a little bit of Christian ease language, you know. And I looked at that man after he had done his whole spiel about Jesus Christ, and I looked at him straight in the eye, and I said, those bottom, like a Coke bottle eyes, big, great big thick things, I said, I got the sneaking suspicion that you think I do not believe. And he looked at me through those glasses, and he said, the devil believes, and he trembles. Oh, dear friend, uh, I was so shaken in my boots that I left that garage. I didn't say two words to him after that. I left my car, and I decided to walk home. And I had a debate the whole way home. Oh, Eric, you're not that bad. You're a pretty good guy. And then the next step, I'd say, oh, Eric, you're damned. Then I'd walk a little bit further. No, no, you're not bad at all. And I would say, no, you're damned. I had this argument with myself. You could imagine what that would have looked like. But anyways, that's how it went down. Well, we moved to Jarvis. Let me say this. If I had died that day, I could not have said, no man cared for my soul. Went to Jarvis, started a farm business in Jarvis. And a neighbor came to our house, and he knew that we needed some equipment for our farm. The problem was the farm wasn't making much money, I didn't have much money, but I needed the equipment. And I said to him, look it, I don't have much money. And he said, that's okay. He said, we will finance you. I said, okay, you're crazy, but I said, okay, we'll do it. And he brought the equipment. Well, wouldn't you know it, first payment came due. And he comes knocking on the door. And I went, oh boy, open the door. I said, I'm sorry, I don't have the money to make my payment. He said, that's okay. Can I come in and sit down and have a coffee with you? Sure, come on, sit down. So then he started to talk to me about Jesus. 
I thought, you got to be kidding me. I was so distraught, I wanted with every fiber of my being to take him and throw him outside of my house. But I owed him money. And I thought to myself, I, I just can't do that. So I listened to him until he finally left. But next month came along, and it's the same thing. Open the door. I can't pay the bill. That's okay. Can I come in for a coffee? Yes. And he talked to us about Jesus. Oh, I think I made a few payments here and there, but then eventually I thought to myself, you know, this guy has been pretty good to us. I said, Kathy, what do you think? And I simply said, we will come to your church. He couldn't believe it. But I said, you know, I don't know how you run church. I said, we have three children, and uh, how do you normally minister to the children? I didn't use that word minister, obviously. And he said, that's no problem, Eric. He said, we have like a junior church program and, and so on and so forth. So we went to the church. I put on my very best suit. It was the suit that I got married in. Kathy got dressed up real pretty. My girls got dressed up real pretty. They had white lace gloves on. And those knee socks, you know, those white knee socks, they were cute. And we went to that church, and we were the prettiest-looking Pharisees that you have ever, ever seen. And we sat in that church, and uh, I, I didn't get saved. But I, there was an awakening in my heart that God was real. I had a sense that God wasn't a million miles away and very uninterested in my life. For the first time in my life, I believed that there was a God who wanted to know me. Well, my children, my, both my girls went down into their junior church program. Uh, my daughter, Jessie, was about eight years old. Julia was five, almost six. And they were in separate classrooms. And, and those Sunday school teachers took an opportunity to give an invitation for the gospel, and both of my girls trusted in Jesus Christ for their Savior that day. And I'll never forget it. We were, had a little fellowship time after church, and this freckle-faced, big, round-faced girl comes up to us and says, guess what? What? Your girls got born again. I said, what kind of church is this? Well, I went home. I had a Bible. I got a Bible when I was in grade four. I had taken that Bible. I put it in a box. I had it on the bottom of the box. I stacked five boxes on top of that box. But I thought to myself, I'm going to look for that Bible. So I took all those boxes down and I found that Bible. And I began reading. I thought to myself, I wonder what this is all about. I didn't know where to start, but I read the book of Matthew. I thought it would start at the beginning of the New Testament. The first part was okay. I mean, the genealogies, I didn't quite get. That was okay. But the birth of Jesus, you know, we learned about that in school and stuff. But it came down to the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. And the Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the merciful, for they are, or blessed are, yeah, blessed are the merciful, so they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the meek 
for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Dear friends, I had never hungered and thirsted after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. There was nothing about mercy in this heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. There was no purity in this heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. I was the furthest thing from a peacemaker. Blessed are they that are persecuted. I did not want to be persecuted. But it got worse. The Bible says, you have heard that it hath been said to them of old time that if thou shalt not kill, and if any man shall kill, he shall be in danger of the judgment. Okay, I didn't kill anybody. But then Jesus said, but I say unto you, that whosoever hateth his brother without cause is in danger of judgment. Whosoever shall say unto thy brother, Raka, is in danger of the council. And whosoever shall say, thou fool, is in danger of hellfire. Dear friends, the fool would have been the lightest thing that I ever called anybody. And then it got worse. Because the Bible says this, you have heard that it was being said to them all the time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh at a woman to lust after her hath already committed adultery with her in his heart. And dear friends, I want you to know this morning that I was condemned in my heart. I believed absolutely, unequivocally that there was no hope for Eric Hilton. No hope whatsoever. I believed that the Sermon on the Mount was the picture of a Christian. And I didn't care what any other person did. I didn't care if they didn't live up to those standards. I believed that if that's what Christianity was, there is no way possible that I could attain unto it. And you know what, dear friends? You can't. But I didn't know that. But I, 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 could, I hated reading that Bible. But I couldn't stop it. And I'm glad I kept on going. Because the Bible, kept, as I kept on reading, I came to that portion of Scripture that says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and learn of me. Take my yoke upon you, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I didn't understand it all. But I saw it for the first time as grace. Grace. And it was simply this. Either take it or leave it. And I took it. I bowed before the cross of Jesus Christ and received salvation for this wretched, evil soul. But dear friends, I could never say that no man cared for my soul. But let me ask it a different way this evening. Can... Are there people? Maybe there's some in this auditorium. Maybe there, there are some outside this auditorium that can say, no man cared for my soul. You bet there is. You bet there is. I'm thinking just now of that drunkard who's outside these, this building. He's drank himself stupid. And he's saying, no man cared for my soul. I'm thinking of that drug addict. He's put junk in his arm. He's smoked stuff. He's put it up his nostrils. And he's saying, no man cared for my soul. I'm thinking of that prostitute. She sold her body 
Because she says, no man cared for my soul. I'm thinking of that homeless person sleeping in a car, sleeping in an alley. And he's saying, no man cared for my soul. Not just the down and outers, dear friends. The up and outers too. There is a CEO somewhere, a big executive, who is about ready to take his own life. And he's saying these words, No man cared for my soul. Well, what do we do about it? Thank you for asking. First, we need to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. Uh, Friends, (laughs) they, they they don't need better education. They don't don't need better drugs. They don't need another government handout or another government program. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ. After I got saved, I right away went out and started telling people about this experience that I had. Right away. I thought everybody needed to know. And you know, I didn't know anything. All I knew was this, is that I once was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. But dear friends, you are not me, and I am not you. God put in my heart right away for evangelism. But not everybody is an evangelist. Now, everybody needs to be a part of evangelism. Everybody does. But not everybody is going to be able to go out and do what I do, or what Pastor Paul does, or others. But there are some other things that you can do. You can hand out a tract. Just hand out a tract. Excuse me. If you have a second, here's something that you might like to read in your spare time. All they can do is say, I'm not interested. Now, you want to hand out good tracks. Some tracks are like whitewashed tombs. They're nice and shiny on the outside, but on the inside, they're full of dead men's bones. So you want to get good tracks. Then you like to hand them out. But you say, I I just don't have the courage. You say, I pray for courage all the time. Don't pray for courage. Pray for perfect love. Because perfect love casts out fear. Cast out fear, and then you hand out the track. Um, Invite people to church. That's all that Charlie did to us, was simply invite us to church. And I love this church because we preach the gospel here. You don't send them to any church. Send them to a church that preaches the Bible. Social media. You say, social media? Yeah, you got, most of us have some sort of social media. Put on there something about Jesus. You say, well, people are going to think I'm nuts. Well, I look at some of those Facebook things, and pretty well everybody on there nuts anyways, right? I, I remember hearing a story 
of a woman who was on a border town during the American Civil War. And uh, she was sitting in her house, and she could see the Confederate army marching toward her house. And she got up out of her chair, and she looked around. She looked around. She couldn't find anything. And she saw on the hearth a poker, just a poker. And she ran outside with that poker. And, and one of, the, one of her, her friends said, what do you think you're going to do with that poker? Those people got guns. She says, I can't do much, but at least they'll know what side that I'm on. And dear friends, the world needs to know what side you are on. Much prayer. You can't do any of that, but you can pray. David said, he cried out. He cried out. We need to pray fervently. We need to pray with travail. Paul said, I travail in birth again till Christ be formed in you. Pray specifically. Pray for souls. You know, dear friends, I don't believe in female pastors. But I believe in female preachers. And every one of you women... Moms and grandmas, you have a congregation, and it is your children, and it is your grandchildren. And every single home needs to be a birthing place for heaven. We had three children in our house, and I am the preacher in my house, right? But my kids heard more preaching from this woman right here. In our house, you weren't allowed to backslide. You just weren't. Like, you think she's a nice lady, don't you? Nice and jolly person, but don't backslide in our house. And she preached to them. You need to preach to your kids. Uh, pray for the soul winners. You have soul winners in this church. Dave Cameron. Pastor Paul. Myself, others, we covet your prayers. Uh, these guys cannot do what they want to do unless somebody is praying for them. Pray for the church services. Pray for the preaching. Pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But dear friends, pray! Let me make the question now personal. Are you here this evening? And you would say, Preacher, no man cared for my soul. Listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. I care for your soul. I'm ready to stand up here and look like an idiot for your soul. But let me just say this. It matters very little that I care for your soul. There is somebody who's much bigger and much greater and much better, and you would want him to care for your soul more than me or everybody in this church, and it is the man, Christ Jesus, cares 
for your soul. You know, David said these words, bring my soul out of prison. There may be some here this morning who are in soul prison. You know, you can be in a real, literal dungeon. You can be in a jail, but not be in soul prison. I'm thinking of Peter when he was in prison. I'm thinking of Paul when he was in prison. I'm thinking of Joseph when he was in prison. They were in prison, but they were not in soul prison. And there may be some here this evening who are in soul prison. You say, I want to be set free. How? How do I do it? You don't do it. You say, well, how does Jesus do it? Well, you say, well, maybe a vision. If I had a vision. Maybe if I heard an audible voice of Jesus. No. The Bible says Jesus does it by himself. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. By his own blood, he entered once into the holy place to obtain uh, eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Jesus Christ through the eternal spirit offer himself unto God without spot, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The Bible says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. The Bible says he was made a propitiation for us through faith in his blood. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. He says, the Bible says that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your vain conversation, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Away, friends with every bloodless and crossless salvation. You're only saved by His blood. Maybe you're here this evening and you're lost. Jesus says, come. Lord, can you come up to the piano for a second? And then, uh, maybe you're here tonight and you're a backslider. I wish we would say like the Puritan said. Puritan writer said this. Before thy cross I kneel and see the heinousness of my sin. The iniquity that caused thee to be a curse. The evil that incited the severity of divine wrath. Help me to see the enormity of my sin by the crown of thorns, the nail-pierced hands and feet, the bruised body and the death cries. Thy blood is the blood of incarnate God. 
infinite is his value and it's worth beyond thought infinite must be the guilt and the evil that demands so high a price sin is my sickness sin is my monster sin is my enemy sin is my snake born in my birth alive in my life strong in my nature dominating my character following me like a shadow intermingling with my every thought the ch a chain that keeps me bound in the empire of my soul sinner that I am why should the sun give me light why should the air give me breath why should the earth bear my tread why should its fruits nourish my body why should its creatures subserve me but thy compassion yearn after me thy heart hastens to my rescue thy love bears my curse and thy mercy endures my deserved stripes let me live humbly in the very depths of humility washed in thy blood tender in conscience living victoriously as an heir of salvation are you here tonight you're without Christ or maybe you're a backslider Hosea says these words I will heal their backsliding I will love them freely for mine anger is turned away from him God says come